Mai Kako, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of the Moana Nui podcast. Today, we are joined by TJ Sterling. TJ was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. At an early age, he displayed a very keen and almost prodigious talent for art. In the late 80s, TJ took a serious interest in drawing comic books and superheroes. After graduating college, working at Marvel, and doing some cover work for Dark Horse Comics, TJ started his own company, Ray Comics. TJ recently raised over $20,000 on Kickstarter for his flagship book, Okamus. You can find TJ on Facebook at Ray Comics, on Instagram at Ray Comics, and at TJ Sterling Art, and via his website, raycomics.com. As always, the links will be in the show notes as well. What up? How you doing? Man, that intro was fire. You don't understand. I was like dancing backstage and shit. People didn't even get a chance to see that. I mean, because she's got the, the swirling water and the, 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 the logo just comes out of nowhere. It's like it's like being in the Moana movie for Moana <laughs> podcast. Absolutely incredible. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, I'm so happy to have you here, too. Um, so um, for those of the people who are listening who don't know you, let's just do a quick intro. Tell them a little bit about yourself and what you do. Absolutely. So uh, everybody who doesn't know me, my name is TJ Sterling. I'm the president and lead artist of a company called Ray Comics. And uh, we make care- uh, make stories and narratives about, you know, characters of color doing amazing, amazing, powerful things. And uh, we've been in business since 2015. And uh, we've been slowly just kind of making our way throughout different parts of the comic book industry. And um, I'm uh, blessed to be able to serve you guys as a uh, creator, uh, writer, and an illustrator for my uh, flagship comic book series, Okamas. Yes, and we're so excited to talk about Okamas a little bit tonight. This is your first Kickstarter, but but you're not necessarily new to the scene. You've been doing this for a while and um, attending conventions and, you know, like being on on that hustle. What was your strategy like for switching from, you know, doing an in-person event to Kickstarter? How how was that transition for you? Uh, man, I was, shoot, <laughs> that's a good question. I, I think for me, it, it's always been kind of like, I've never really had a huge interest in Kickstarter just because I met so many people in person. I mean, I do on average about 15 shows a year all throughout the country. And um, I meet thousands of people uh, like every con. And uh, that's always been my Kickstarter. It's kind of been the spot where people invest in what we have going on at Ray Comics, um, whether it's, you know, just for the products we have or even just monetary donations. So I didn't really always, you know, see the, the need 100% immediately to do Kickstarter. Uh, and I think as a time went on, I realized the platform was really going growing. And there's a lot of people who only buy their comics on Kickstarter because they cannot get uh, their comics at a convention. Some people mm-hmm. aren't even able to come. I mean, I have, had a customer who's a paraplegic who wasn't even able to, like, move out of his wheelchair to even go to a convention. So he only buys stuff on, on Kickstarter. So I realized that it was a um, market that I hadn't reached yet. And then also this year, 2020, is just interesting because we have zero conventions, <laughs> a big old fat zero. <laughs> because, right. Because people were in a weird country eating snakes and bats and shit, you know what I'm saying? And COVID's wreaked havoc on the whole fucking world. So because we can't have any cons and I can't bless all of you with my fantastic presence and I can't experience you one-on-one in person, uh, Kickstarter is like the biggest way that I can reach a large audience in a very short period of time. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and TJ is very good with people. Um, 
John and I always say he has the gift of gab because he's he has a way of pulling you in. So I'm gonna put you on the spot. Pretend I'm a new person. Tell me your pitch. Oh God, um, <laughs> it's it's pretty simple. I mean, I always start with something very very basic, like you know, do you like comic books? Because you just never know what a person is at a convention for. I mean, some right. people, excuse me, are only there for cosplay. Some people are only there for the games. Some people are only there to buy exclusive pop figures. So you don't really know who uh, who or what or when or why they're even there. And I think starting with a question like, do you like comic books? Are you here for the reason I'm here? And just kind of seeing if you have some common interest and that kind of sparks like an easy, you know, going conversation. And, and I think it's always kind of funny because so many of us have asked that question at a con. It's a relatively typical question. It's a very simple question, but a lot of times you get no, <laughs> you get no a lot. And when you get no, it's just kind of like, uh, look, do you, do you see where you're at? You're walking through Artist Alley, you're walking through small press, like this is all comics. That's usually where it starts. And then just regular conversation about like, hey, what do you like? What are you interested in? Let me tell you a little bit about my series and why it's different and unique than anybody else's. I mean, you guys have a great, great product. So you can speak to bike life and all this amazing stuff that, you know, other creators can't. So you have something that's different, something that's unique. And uh, with that, we... Um, you explain to them a little bit just what is unique about your company and why they could possibly invest in it. And then all the fun stuff that we have for sale, whether it's the books or the prints or whatever. And then uh, you kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things I love about you and, and when you're at conventions is that you also have interns and students that are, are with you. So I was doing a little bit of, of, of research on the internet uh, last night, and I saw a series that you did um, for the Junior 100, where you're like mentoring some students on being a creator. And, you know, that really spoke to me because I, I, I like mentoring too. So um, when you're, you're choosing the interns that you bring with you to a convention, what are the things that you're looking for in them? Strong arms so they can carry all my heavy shit. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be able to bench 200 pounds to work on comics. <laughs> you got to be strong-willed and strong-minded and strong-able-bodied. No. So <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, um, I, you know, it's weird because I, I didn't really, I usually get invited to do a lot of stuff. A lot of the times it's like the Junior 100. I met um, a lady and her son at a convention and they were like, look, you know, we love, uh, you know, how you present your work. We you know, love how engaging you are with my kids. So like, are you able to do this with more kids? And I'm like, sure, I'd love to because I'm the oldest of five. I've got, you know, four younger siblings and I've always kind of been that uh, responsible guy that, you know, helps people with homework or changes diapers and all that other stuff. That was me in high school. So now it's kind of like, uh, again, I do get invited to do a lot of gigs and I just meet people organically and things kind of just happen. But I think I recently started to get very uh, serious and um, intentional with being as uh, philanthropic as I could because a lot of folks are interested in the comic book world. They're interested in the storytelling narrative. They're interested in running a business and all the stuff that you do, you and John do, all the stuff that I do and many other creators do, it's literally a, um, it's kind of like breathing for us, but for other people, it's not so much. So yeah, I'm like, man, maybe I can actually be of service to people and to younger, a younger audience. And I find it to be extremely rewarding spiritually, personally, uh, to be able to give back and not want anything. I mean, again, when I give to these kids, I don't want anything. And I, I think it's funny too, because I, I joke about the, them carrying heavy stuff and they do that. But, <laughs> you know, I have paid all my interns over the years 
but not only monetarily, but I give them life experience of working for a company. I, I also teach them and tutor them art while we're sitting at a booth, you know, and, and things like that. So it's very much an interactive internship and an experience when I do have, you know, kids that are working with me. Shoot, her name is is slipping me right now. What's the name of the um Sierra and Mike? Shout out to Sierra and Mike. What's up, guys? I love those what two. <laughs> That's some hardworking kids. It's my youngins right there, man. It's like yeah. they're like my, my mini me's and shit, you know? <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. So I know that like being a role model is important to you, um, clearly in the work that you do. Who were some people that you looked up to, you know, when you were coming up and thinking about initially venturing into comics and whether it be comic, a comic related person or, you know, just someone in your life who was inspirational and kind of, uh, you know, set the path for you? It's a great, it's a great question. I mean, I, uh, first of all, the first person I think, you know, we look up to, I'm sorry, I just ate dinner earlier, so... <laughs> I'm burping like crazy. I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, it's a real, it's a real conversation between me and a good friend of mine. So it's, it's right. raw and it's uncut, and there's no bullshit. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, my first hero was my mother. Actually, I mean, she is a, um, a a survivor. I mean, I think that's the best way I could put it. I think surviving is a superpower when you're faced mm -hmm. with any type of adversity, any type of hardship and with her you know she dealt with kidney disease from the time she was in her mid-30s and uh she you know has had multiple surgeries and hypertension she already had she's had three kidney replacements so um to watch her go through all of these really really strenuous things but still have a positive attitude still be upbeat still be encouraging was really powerful to me because it's like i can't complain about shit when this woman is going through some of the craziest things to to stay healthy and stay alive so she was my first hero. She's the first one that got me into comics. So I have to just say shout out to Mom Dukes because, again, that's that's definitely a big thing. I'm trying to think artistically. My very first art teacher in high school pushed me to like, yo, if you want to learn how to be a comic book artist, be an animator, to be this, then you have to learn everything. And this is when Photoshop was 4.0. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it wasn't no creative suite. It wasn't on the cloud. It was on a disc. <laughs> right. Put it in your computer and ran and downloaded and all that stuff. And you know, it was uh, those types of individuals that just believe that, hey, uh, this kid's got something, but he really wants to, you know, really be in this business and try some stuff. So let me give him all the tools. And I started going to conventions in 2005, just like you guys did, like as fans, just walking the floor and um, networking, getting to know people, knowing, getting to know creators and just like gravitating towards people who, you, who had similar interests and also had really dope work. And the first person who ever mentored me in comics was Ryan Benjamin back in 2005. Um, he's a DC Comics vet. He's Jim Lee's you know, number one protege. There's Jim Lee, then there's Ryan Benjamin. That's how thick that relationship is. And uh, he took a whole bunch of time with me in terms of like looking at my art, telling me what was wrong, telling me uh, like, hey, you know, there's more money in just, than just comics. You have to look outside. You have to think of outside the box if you want to be successful. And, you know, this is the man, a man that, you know, to now to this day drives a $100,000 car and, you know, lives on a nice swanky ass fucking loft in san diego california i mean that you know like there's there's bread in comics if you know how to play the game right and he's one of those right. people that just knows the game so i constantly look to what's going on with ryan and um the folks over at aspen comics were incredible too because their founder michael turner was one of my favorite artists for a long long time and uh mm. he took time out of his day even though he was going through cancer at the time to just look through my portfolio and you know give me encouragement and just be a really great human being without looking for anything he didn't want anything in return other than to just 
uh, foster and uh, give positive feedback to a young artist. So going to conventions is, is incredible. I mean, I, I think if you're going to do anything, whether it's online or in person, do the in-person first because it just it, it builds lifetime relationships. I, for me, the conventions are all about the connections. I mean, yes, you want to make money off your book. You got to pay for your booth and those kinds of things. But the networking and those relationships are the, the things that you really lean on um, and help with your growth as you're going forward. Being a creator, and, and you're not just a, a creator, you're a writer, and you're you're also penciling some of your work, um, at least the initial ones, and you're also managing like the business side, and it's it's you know it's 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 a lot, you know, as someone else who can relate to that. Like, what keeps you motivated? What gives you energy to keep going even when it's like super hard? It's a great question. I get asked that a lot, actually. Uh, the, the favorite question is, do you sleep? That's the question. <laughs> I get that, too. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm a fucking vampire, not a zombie. I mean, you know, I, I try to think. So it's it's always kind of interesting because all, all the Okemos issues, zero through four, have been written and drawn by me mm-hmm. since the beginning, since 2015. And uh, I take a lot of pride in that. And I think for me, Okemos has been really a... Uh, how do I say this? It's like, it's a very educational experience in terms of being a storyteller and then also drawing and, you know, continuing to get better. Because I mean, if you think about it like this, if you were doing comics as a full-time job every single day, you'd be sharp as steel because you're always doing it. It's like your bread and butter. And I think for a lot of us that are transitioning into that phase, you know, comics, uh, we, we, we learn with every single book we do. Every single book is a teacher. Every single book is a lesson of how to do something better, how to evolve. I think when people look at Wildcard Chronicles, Burning Spears' first book, and then their second book, they see this you know huge, amazing jump in talent and skill and just you know polish on the book. Like it looks incredible. I mean, the first one was dope. The second one's even even doper. So, again, like you learn, we all learn from our first book, and we bring that into the second one and just move on from there. But one thing that motivates me is is uh, the supporters, the people who have become fans and. Uh, friends of mine over the years because they ask about the books all the time like oh when's the next book coming out when's the series gonna finish when what's the next thing and i'm just like constantly thinking about these comments seeing them and taking note of them and also they're living in my head all the time so i'm like you know i'm serving these people and i feel like when i do go to a con and let's say i meet a young kid that's inspired by someone who looks like him that's uh doing what he kind of dreams about doing Right. It's like that type of thing like makes me feel like I'm a kid again. Like, yo, that was me all the years ago. And now I'm like, shit, I want to be that person that someone else could lean on or, or uh, how I just look up to and, um, again, lead by example, not really necessarily, you know, just lead for the purpose of leading, but just like leading by example. If I do, if I'm a good person, if I uh, produce great material, then I'm doing my job, you know what I'm saying? And I take the time for others. So the supporters definitely inspire me big, big, you know, huge, big time. And then also collaboration. I love collaborating with other folks, man. Like it's just, it's such a cool thing because I've got, we have such great creators in our pool of the indie community. And uh, yeah. I know I've, when I've been at your house, you know, I've talked to John about doing uh, crossovers and alternate timelines and stuff, you know, <laughs> and, and see that type of stuff like fires me up, man. Cause like, there's so many cool possibilities. We have no limitations. I think when you have a legacy character like Spider-Man or Wolverine, there's just certain things you can't do. There's certain rules right. you can't break. You may be able to bend them a little bit, but you can't really break them and then try something new without completely alienating your fan base. But that's the beautiful thing about indie. Like we can do whatever we want, when we want and how we want it. 
that complete creative freedom to me is extremely inspiring and just like a lot of fun, man. So I get, I get turned on by a lot of stuff in terms of just like the fire goes up and, and also um, eating healthy. And like, I, I just, I've been on a journey of veganism the last couple of years and that gives me a ridiculous amount of energy. I'm not pitching it because you, people can eat whatever they want. I'm not the person to like shove it down your throat. Like, oh, you need to eat healthier. Like, I don't, you know, you do you. But, no, no, um, no, I've seen you throw down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see how we eat. Like, I mean, but that's the thing is crazy because I can be on my feet for 10 hours at a con because yeah. I've ate healthy the entire day or the, the day before, or I'm, I'm like, my energy level is just different. And I noticed that because like I said, I was a big, cause where I, where my, me and my brother came up in the Midwest, like it was literally a meat and potatoes type of uh, community. So, or, or um, uh, culture. So bacon, ribs, a barbecue, uh, burgers, hot dogs, you know what I'm saying? Fast food. This is all that we ate growing up. That's all we ate. You know what I'm saying? No, there was no salad in sight. <laughs> I don't think I ever remember being served a salad as a kid. Is that fucked up? I, I don't Sounds know, like my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not one single fucking salad, but just like pizza for days. So I think being from a culture like that where, you know, we're big eaters, uh, you know, as I started to get a little bit up in the age, it's just kind of like, oh, man, I'm feeling a little more sluggish. I'm feeling a little, let me try some stuff out. And again, because my family is known for having uh health issues with hypertension and high blood pressure, all these things are associated with eating. I was like, let me try to do something different. And the veganism has like a weird side effect of just giving you a, another level of energy, you know, during something like a con that's, you know, eight hours of being on your feet and engaging with thousands of people, which is extremely tiring. <laughs> so, oh my God, it's, it's a lot of work, but you already know that. Yeah. Well, absolutely. It's, it's, it's draining, but it's worth it. You know, like it's, it's kind of like the the give and take, give the energy, take the energy, you know. And of course, when you have help at the booth, it's it's nice to have like, okay, I'm gonna take a break real quick, <laughs> get us some food. Uh, yeah, see. you come through and sit sit at the booth for us, please. Yes, for books. sure, absolutely. I'm really. She knows how to sell some books, by the way. Shout out to Yayi, man. <laughs> oh, Jaji, yeah, for sure. I miss her. Ah, I'm gonna miss New York Comic Con this year. I was really looking forward to it. Okay, so let's talk about the comic a little bit. So we have Kale, who is like the main character. There's a lot of martial um, art kind of influence in the book. Um, and then like, I can tell that, you know, like you're infusing like the discipline of being, you know, a practicing martial artist, martial artist practitioner, I guess. Tell me a little bit about that. Cause like when I saw that on your um, Kickstarter thing, I was like, hey, I didn't know TJ did martial arts. Like um, how does yeah. that influence your story? I think anybody that will tell you that's done martial arts, it's like a way of life. I mean, I did, you know, show and room Japanese karate for 12 years and, you know, ended up with a black belt at uh, early in high school and did some competitive, you know, uh, demonstration type stuff uh, when I was, you know, in high school as well and a little bit of college. And uh, martial arts is something I love. Like, I love the credo of martial arts and what it's about and, and again, how the discipline and respect and uh, these types of very rigid structures mm. help you with life. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, I'm extremely rigid with how I complete my books. Like, you know, I, I mean, I'm pretty consistent with, like, I come out with a new book every July. And that's very intentional because I put myself on this very, very rigid, tight schedule. And, and the discipline of that you know, comes from, you know, working within martial arts for a number of years and uh, just loving every bit of it. I'm trying to think what else, uh, but also it, it, the the martial arts also helps with the story because for me, I always loved 
martial art inspired stories. I'm a huge like Kung Fu movie fan. Like, I mean, <laughs> Jet Li, Jackie Chan, like it was the Chow Young Fat, you know what I'm saying? All these great, amazing, um, Gordon Liu, these amazing, uh, you know, Asian actors who just were incredible on screen, were electric, were powerful. And I think when I started really watching martial arts films, they had just started coming over to the States from, from Asia. So you were getting lots of bad dubbing. You were getting like the, the Wu-Tang Clan, uh, Shaolin swords type stuff. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was crazy, man. I, you know, like, what, what are they even saying? What even, but it was so powerful that those movies could completely transform a culture. And um, I just loved everything about them. So for me, uh, martial arts was in everything that I did from being a practitioner and then being part of my life. But then also I wanted my characters to be martial art practitioners too. So a lot of the kicks, a lot of the punches, you know, the roundhouse stuff, like you see that they're actual moves that are done in karate that I'm transposing into an action story. So it's like, how can you tell an action story if you don't really, about martial arts, if you're not a practitioner, if you don't exactly know what that looks like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you have the characters that um, Kill is kind of connected to called the Mekai. Can you tell us a little bit more about that connection? And and uh, I guess absolutely. just a teaser without, you know, no spoilers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, Alchemist is a sci-fi martial art action story about this centered around this young man named Kill, who is a young black kid, about 19 years old. He's getting ready to actually start his first year of college. Um, he's a genetics major at Purdue University, the leading university for genetics in the country. And with that, he is kind of going about life. He's an orphan. He doesn't know who his parents are. And he feels like genetics and finding out what's in his DNA, you know what I'm saying? is kind of like a, uh, a window into like him, you know, self-discovery. And I think that kind of also, I wrote that because, you know, DNA tests are like a big thing nowadays to kind of discover mm-hmm. where you come from, like who you are really like to the core, because so many of us are, are mixed with so many different things or have so many different, you know, uh, lineages. And, um, you know, Kale being a genetics major, he feels like genetics will be his, you know, the, the saving grace. It'll be his way to figure out more of who, who he is and his, his lineage. So, but out of nowhere, you know, life unexpectedly happens. And in this case, you know, four biomechanical warriors called the Hunters, Tasina, Bane, Massar, and Sada have come from the future. These biomechanical warriors, human beings that have superpowers that can shift into like a powerful armor can generate weapons, swords, energy attacks. They're looking for Kale. They don't even know who he is, but they're looking for an individual that has something that has some uh, that's something trapped deep in his DNA that could possibly save their broken world. So they're the villains of the story. They come out, they show up at a weird time, and when they do show up, they kind of awaken this power in the main character, and all hell kind of breaks loose. Everything, the story completely takes this weird twist that no one saw coming. I think everybody expected it to be an orphan story like uh, Spider-Man or Superman or whatever. Right. It takes in a very unexpected turn very, very quickly. From that, we kind of get Okamis 1 through one through 4, which we currently have. And then issue 0 is actually a prequel, where you see the main character, Kale, um, as an adult. He's like a 45, almost 50-year-old man fighting these mech creatures. And, you know, just for explanation purposes, the mech are like uh, cybernetic abominations of man and machine that live only in this desolate future landscape that this uh, Kale from the future kind of is fighting and you see that in issue zero you see him at the end of his journey and then when you go to issue one you see him as a young kid so we kind of do some non-linear storytelling we do a little bit of like time travel time alternate 
timeline, whatever. Like we play with those types of things in Alchemist and we have a lot of fun with it. Issue zero is going to play into the main continuity in a very, very big way in the next couple of issues. So I hope everybody gets a chance to like dive into the series and come into it with an open mind because you may think that you know what's going to happen, but you actually have no idea. Um, I love how you play with the timeline because we kind of did that with the Chronicles too, where we show you like, here's this, you know, here's our character. It's pretty dope. Like it's, you jump in in the middle of a story and it's like, okay, but before we go there, let's go back to the origins. And I just, I love that because I feel like sometimes um, some of the storylines for other comics, like they, they just start from like, okay, they're invincible. And I'm like, okay, but like, how did it get there? You know? So taking the time to do that character development, I think is really important. Um, and it just, to me, helps build um, even more interest in the book. And it helps you actually get audiences at like all different um, points. So like you can get, you know, people who are new to it, you know, will be like, oh, this is cool. Even though, you know, you may have created it like years ago, right? And then you're also addressing, you know, your your core fans who have been with you like from the get-go. So that's that's one of the things I really love about it. Absolutely. The, the mystery, I mean, keeping people guessing and making them think. Because again, like when I read Wildcard Chronicles, the first one, it was again, one of those books that just made me think like, man, I can't wait to see what happens in the next book. And I think that's what we need to do as creators is to pique the interest with, you know, non, I mean, again, like there's so many dope comic book companies out there, but I see so many people doing very, very similar type of looking characters. I mean, tease your own, you know, everybody do everything, you know, do what you want. But like I said, I think that when you look at a title like Okamus, it's a completely unique title. You're not going to see anything like it on the shelves. When you look at Wildcard Chronicles, it's something that's actually really, really unique that you're not going to see on the shelves, period. I think that's, uh, again, a testament to just um, the creators taking their time. And that's the only thing I would say, if you are going to be a creator, take your time to tell a really great story and just pace yourself because, you know, comics aren't necessarily a sprint. I mean, people have gone broke trying to sprint through comics. People have <laughs> had a million Kickstarters and not fulfilled rewards trying to sprint through comics. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, there's a million ways you can shoot yourself in the foot. But like, I think just pacing yourself and making sure you're you're constantly coming out with something at least once a year and you're good. You know what I mean? And bringing that like originality and focus on quality. That's a big thing for us. You know, people are like, oh, when's the next one? It's like, you know, it's going to take a while. It, it takes a while. Like greatness is not created overnight. And, you know, at I think when we first started, I was like, oh, we got to go faster. But, you know, John is, he's, he has his, you know, his vision set and he's like, nope, we're not going faster. We're going, the timing will be when it is. Um, and we're going to release a great quality product. I was Amen. like, okay, you know, you have, you have a, a point there. All right. So we had a question from someone on who's listening was Newton. He, uh, going back to the martial arts, is all the martial arts karate or do you have a mixture of styles? Hey, Newton, what's going on, man? Uh, yeah, so all of the characters that are uh, in the, the group of the hunters, you know, Masar, Bane, Sada, Tosina, they're all kind of have different applications of martial arts. So Masar, who's a, you know, 6'3 Asian dude in this, the comic book series, is actually based on a good one of my best friends from high school, Jim Yu, guy from Chinese, the biggest Asian dude I've met in my life. And uh, he shot, put discus, you know, heavy lifting, like he was the, the huge dude. But the crazy thing about how him and I connected in high school was that we were both big Tupac fans. And, and like, it's literally, we were the I, only, I, 
we were the only people of color in the class quoting Tupac, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, common interests and things like that. And, you know, he was a big Kung Fu guy. Like he was a huge Kung Fu guy. So Masar, the guy in purple is a uh, Kung Fu practitioner. And, uh, you know, Bane is a little bit more like, how do I say, like maybe uh, Tai Chi, if anything, he's more you know mental and spiritual than anything. It's seen as lots of kicks, lots of kickboxing, lots of um, Aikido. Uh, so, but different variations of that, because in the future where these hunters come from, there's not necessarily like a one type of style that everyone follows. It's kind of like a, there's a mixture going on. Not to be confused with mixed martial arts, because I don't really consider that to be... <laughs> a martial art per se but um definitely each character has kind of like a very unique martial art ability to them what is the one thing that you enjoy doing the most oh man uh i i love 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 going to conventions and just meeting new people man that is just like because see the thing is for me like i spend six months out of the year creating a new book you know writing the story drawing it out getting it sent to the colorist, you know, getting the letterer involved and all that other good stuff. So it takes a half of the year. And then the other half of the year, usually the summertime into the fall is convention season. So it starts in like August, I'm sorry, no, June or July, it starts and then it goes all the way till, you know, November, December. And uh, yeah. I just love going to cons, man, because you always meet new people. You always run into different folks. I've met, ran into so many cool, you know, unique people. And then I've run into cool celebrities. I've met industry folks. Like, I mean, you just never know what you're going to get when you go to a con. It's a very much a unique experience every single time. So I just love doing that. And I love to see people's reactions when I've got a new book, man. Like, I mean, like, oh man, this is the new one in the story. And like, you get to catch up with old friends. Like, it's just, it's just fun, man. I just miss conventions so much. You know what I'm saying? Like for real. I absolutely miss it too, <laughs> even though it is draining, but you know, it's like you said, you spend so much time creating your baby, right? Your your story. And it's like, oh, yes, I finally get to share it and show people and, and see the reactions and, you know, get the feedback. And, you know, because everything is evolving as, you know, as you mentioned earlier, like in your head. And it's funny, like how your fans can influence, you know, like some of the things like, oh, well, they want to see that part. Hmm, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll take the story this way. I think that kind of happened in our conversation with uh, Newton uh you know last week when we were talking about crescent city monsters and um how you know like he, <laughs> he he didn't expect to do things a certain way but like it was something that the fans like so when he did his pivot he wasn't sure you know like how that was going to work out but i mean he's crushing it so you know clearly he's doing something right too <laughs> right. It works. you and are like my works. favorite projects right now on kickstarter so for sure appreciate that man it means a lot absolutely I mean, yeah. you guys are Kickstarter veterans. You know how this whole thing works, and it's an interesting animal. And um, like I said I think the timing is perfect. I mean, we, you know, the, you know, I think a lot of it's like tapping the vein at the right time. You know, what I'm saying, and just drawing blood when it's ideal. But ultimately, uh, I think also every single person who's ever supported Okemos at a convention jumped on this Kickstarter, and that's how incredible the supporters are. So I just, you know, want to say thank you to all of you guys if you're watching, because, you know, you, you jumped on the campaign with the first couple of hours, you know, we hit our goal within under two hours, super quick. And then you continue to share it. Every single person I've done an interview with over the years, every single person is on my mailing list, like every single person seemed to have jump on. And then we obviously got new people too. So I'm just, hella thankful, man, because this is allows me to give you what I've been working on, the best book that we have in the series. So I'm very excited about it. You know, being being a creator, you also clearly are in the artistic community. Are there any artists that you would like to be compared to? 
Shoot, that's a that's a great question. I I, I don't know, man. I just I want to be compared to TJ Sterling, the the few the better future version of myself. Whatever that looks like, you know, in the coming years and you know, all the amount of time that I have to be doing this, you know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to be drawing comics when I'm 80. I I would love to like just be running a business, you know what I'm saying, doing a little bit more of the you know, puppeteer work, but yeah, just being the best version of myself for sure. And, and just being people seeing Ray comics and seeing the, the, the content we come out with seeing Oakmas and all the new titles we got coming out with and be like, man, they're one of the dopest comic book companies out there. And they're not even, they're not on the level of boom or, or any of these other bigger companies, you know, you know, dynamite, some of these like companies that are indie, but they're still big, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, those are big companies, even though they're indie, like, I want to be on those guys' levels at some point in time, or really just be on my own best level in terms right. of just like being synonymous with quality and great stories and you know inclusion and just loving everybody and telling great stories that are centered around every single type of person. That's really great advice because I feel like there are a lot of people who can fall into that trap of comparing themselves to someone else and then paralyzing them from taking action and actually improving, you know, like themselves individually. So um, I really like that you touched on that because it's an, it's an important thing for people to remember, whether, whether you're a creator or whatever, just a life advice, like focus on being the best you, you know, like the best version of yourself, continuing to improve your craft, whatever that might be. Put it on a wall. You gotta make a- Yeah, I mean, it's true, man. Cause like I said, I think, um it's so easy as creators to kind of compare yourself to other individuals that are doing something similar. And I just mm. think that it's, it's a very easy thing to do, but the challenging thing to do is just to take your mind out of it and just to stay in your lane and do you, you know what I'm saying? And just be, be content with that. Be happy with your movement and what you have going on because you know, we're, we're extreme. Every single one of us creators is unique. I mean, I haven't seen anybody in the comic creator community, at least in the indie community that has a, a, a a similar way of doing stuff. Everybody's kind of got a different way or a different vision for what yeah. they want their business to look like. So it's a beautiful time to be in comics. It's a beautiful time to be a part of the indie community. So I'm just happy to be one of the guys that are in there doing his thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, one more question from Newton. Do you plan on doing more Kickstarters? Oh man, um, bro. <laughs> yes, that's a hell yes. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is just, I'm just getting my feet wet. And you know, with the I mean, the, the plan was to get our feet wet, but we ended up taking a dive into the pool, you know, <laughs> for a couple of hours. <laughs> That's what ended up happening. So we're definitely doing another Kickstarter. I will probably try to average, you know, maybe two a year go forward. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, too, I, I think what's all very smart with that some creators do is they kind of use Kickstarter as part of their business model. They actually are building products specifically to drop on Kickstarter, um, whether they're graphic novels or whether they're, you know, big properties or whatever. They they bring bigger offerings to Kickstarter and ask for bigger, you know, bigger money and they get it and they get even more than that. So I think uh, it, it's it's forcing me to kind of think outside the box in terms of what can I offer with my company go forward? Because I have so many people asking, when can I get the Oakmas trade paperback with all of the art in it, with all of the uh, story in it? There's so many people that want that. So I think it's kind of crazy that uh, how incredible the platform is. I didn't realize it until now. And I think now I'm, I'm a believer. I'm ready to work and do more. I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> Shoot, a whole bunch of people have been trying to tell me. And I'm just like, okay, well, you know, because the, the thing is, and I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, like, when you do 15 shows a year and you sell a decent yeah. amount of books, you can do Kickstarter numbers in a given year. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Or even in a few months, you can do these exact numbers. And it's more, I would say it's a little less stressful because Kickstarter is very stressful. 
I will say that extremely stressful. You lose sleep over a Kickstarter. A lot of things that you you know like, but I'm saying though it's worth it in the end. But ultimately, um, you, you know, you have to do what works for you. And I think for me, Kickstarter has become something that I said like a lot of people. I've, I've heard about it over the years. I've seen it work, and now, like I said, I'm a believer 100. percent Yeah, definitely. It's a good testing ground for, you know, like if you have something that you're kind of tossing around and you're not really sure how, uh, you know, the market might react to it before you go ahead and make like a, you know, a larger investment, a Kickstarter is a great place to, you know, give that a try. Oh yeah. Lonzo, Lonzo star. What's up, brother? Um, What up, man? How does it feel to be over the campaign part? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> shoot i mean i'm still doing interviews and there's 10 hours left so i mean it's <laughs> an interview earlier today i mean i'm, I'm constantly networking to, it doesn't feel like it ends and i feel like um there is a big sigh of relief though once every single stretch goal has been met every single goal has been reached and uh we've surpassed what we thought we were going to do tenfold i mean my whole strategy was just to have a modest ask and expect uh, a pretty decent return. Mm-hmm. But I think what we got was a, we, we, we started with a minus ass and got an exponential return. <laughs> and uh, that I'm again, extremely grateful for. And I'm definitely um, happy that I can, you know, relax and, you know, for at least uh, a week. And then once all the funds start rolling in, you know, fulfillment begins. So <laughs> it's, that's gonna be a whole nother month of craziness because there are over 500 people right now that require, you know, orders. And they're going to be shipped all over the place. I do have some international customers. So that's going to be another job in itself. And I think everyone who knows it's had a big Kickstarter, like let's say somebody like our brother Roye, his fulfillment has been consistent from the time he ended all those months ago. He's still fulfilling from that. Yep. Still working on that kind of, that campaign. So is it really done though? Is the campaign really done? <laughs> it's the question. To, what's done? You know what I'm saying? Like, because done is not when you're working and fulfilling orders. Done is when you're completely done. No orders yes. to fulfill. No nothing. But again, yeah, that's. The, I think that answers the question, Lonzo. Um, I, I I did my Kickstarter last September, and I still have three books that are like hanging out. Like, I can't get them to like. I need a re- an address. I need to fulfill this, you know, but, you know, talking to some folks who have been veterans, they're like, yeah, that, that always happens. Usually like after a year, it's like, you know, you did your best to try and fulfill it. And I guess you just chalk it up as a loss if they don't respond. But, you know, the, yeah. the OCD in me is like, I don't well, feel complete. Let, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been at a con and then someone buy your books and say, oh, I'm going to come back later at the con and <laughs> never show up? And I'm like, yeah. bro, like I took your money and I got your books. They're signed. They're just chilling right here. But they forget it. They, they get locked outside. And it's like, oh, that's rough, man. Like, because I, I want them to have the story. I, like, I'd rather give them their money back if they're not going to have the books. It happens. Yep, it's definitely happened to us at least twice. Yeah. And you know, I feel guilty. I'm like, um... Did you see this guy? Did he come back? You know, like, um, I really want to give him the book. Please let me know what you think about this story. That happened at Baltimore <laughs> Comic Con last year. This cat bought everything I had and he just did. He never came back. It was, uh-huh. it was weird because I'm like, but again, like I was pretty busy that like I was at panels and stuff and they were like, oh, yeah. I really want to meet the artist. I want him to sign it and all this other stuff. And like, again, like he, we just missed each other. And so I'm hoping when I next Baltimore Comic Con, he'll see me and I can give him his stuff. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know who um, who he is because he's a big supporter of the indie community. He's a kind of shorter dude. Yeah, glasses uh, and stuff. Yeah, and that might be him. Maybe um, the same guy. So, okay, last question. What legacy do you want to leave with your work? Oh, um, 
at Legacy. I love this question. I think uh, you know, there's like quite a few creators that are you know in our in our in our midst in the indie kind of creator community that are you know parents that are husbands, wives that are that have families. And uh, the dopest thing to me when I watch them work is that they're building a business and they're building an empire that they can pass on to their children. And they're bringing their children to cons and they're literally like, hey, this is my bread and butter, but now it's yours. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you are literally able to gift a gen- piece of generational wealth to, yes. you know, your, your own, man. And I think that's so powerful. And that's really what I'm doing here is I'm building an empire that I can pass on to my family one day that will allow them generational wealth. You know what I'm saying? They can, you know, because by, because by that time when I'm ready to, to, to be out and to peace out of this motherfucker, like I'm going to be, I want to be that Stan Lee cat, you know what I'm saying? Right. Just coming to, to the show, signing stuff and mad fans like, oh, I remember when we did this and that was like 80, 50 years ago, whatever. And just like, that's the type of legacy I want to leave. But then like have the family be able to like, yo, you know, uh, my dad's movies are coming out th- this year or I'm an executive producer of my father's movies or, or his TV shows or whatever. And uh, that's the type of legacy I want to leave. Just, you know, it's synonymous with quality and uh, philanthropy and uh, just being um, a real dude, man. I think a lot of people will will attest to the fact when they do meet me, I'm a real person. You know what I'm saying? I don't got no tolerance for nonsense, but I am uh, a, uh, a real person. I do show a lot of love and I you know appreciate the love that I get in return. So yeah, just a legacy of that, man, if I could, absolutely. In terms of the, the philanthropy, for those who are watching, like one of the really cool things that I love that TJ did with his campaign is he is supporting the, I can't remember the exact, um, organization, but it's the kidney one, the National Kidney Foundation. Is that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And you know, you heard him talk about you know how his mom struggles with that, and it's a it's a cause that's very close to his heart. So I love that he's using his platform to also benefit you know other causes and help you know to impact bring positive impact to the lives of other people. Um, he also had a donation tier for women in comics, which I really appreciate, you know, like him supporting the women in who are in comics. It's not a lot of us, it's growing, you know. Um, there's a, some really strong women. Uh, shout out to Regina and LaShawn, who's opening up her uh, comic book shop in, uh, yeah. where is, she at? is it Kentucky? No, not Kentucky, Alabama, right? Alabama. The South Alabama, that's right. Yeah. So like, I'm really excited for her and um, definitely looking forward to having our book in her shop. But yeah, you know, to all the creators who use platforms for not just, you know, their own projects and, you know, making money that way, but also helping bigger causes. You know, I love that stuff because I mean, I do that too. So I'm really excited for like just being able to help people and getting that like feeling of generosity, you know, that and gratitude that they give back. It's just like, oh, you know, being able to touch somebody's life like that, especially when you know what it's like to go through adversity and difficult times. So um, shout out to you for doing that. Love Appreciate it. You, sis. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, <laughs> um, it was extremely important to me with this campaign to do what we could to give back in whatever way. I mean, again, it's, it's a drop in the bucket, but it's a start because, I mean, these organizations are struggling just like we all are because of COVID. Right. Again, the Junior 100 is an amazing organization. It's the second charity that we have. And again, with them, uh, we're hel- it's helping kids who want to do what we do, you know what I'm saying, as professionals. And the third and final uh, tier that we have um, that is for, well, the philanthropic tier is for women in comics. And um, I absolutely love, like, women in comics and what they do. I loved it. I've supported it from the beginning. And um, Regine Sawyer is an amazing, powerful force that just 
is transforming the industry and she's so um, strong and focused with the vision that she has for this business. So I really believe in it wholeheartedly. Um, again, there's so many amazing creators, uh, women creators in this industry that are just doing some incredible stuff. And uh, like I said, this, their, this organization supports them. It supports all the stuff that they're doing. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's really dope. They're doing some really, really great stuff come this year and then into 2021. So it's super easy. Like every, if you donate to women in comics through Ray Comics, it goes directly to them. We don't take a piece of that at all. So it, donate to that as much as possible if you can. But also, again, let's say you want to get comics and donate to women in comics. You can do that as well. And again, there's not an add-on feature just yet. But let's say you get your $35 tier. When you get $35 tier, you get all the comics. And then you add $50 to that. I'll make sure that $50 goes to women in comics. You just have to write a personal note to me and I'll take good care of it. All right. Well, I think, let's see, no more questions. So we will end here. Once again, thank you, TJ, for your time and coming on the Moana Nui podcast. If you would like to follow TJ, um, where can they find you at? super easy i'm all over the place absolutely all over the place so if you're on facebook you search tj sterling i think there's only one or two of me so it's super easy to find i'm on instagram a lot too so if you look for at tj sterling art you're going to find me there um if you want to check out our business instagram page it's at ray comics r-a-e comics on instagram super easy to find um we're also on twitter at ray comics on twitter super easy to find me there as well my website too I respond to I respond to every single message you guys write me. I respond to it directly. So you're getting the owner of the company, the people person who's writing and drawing books, you get the direct answer. So raycomics.com, R A E comics.com, you can easily get me and find me there as well. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you to our listeners. If you liked what you heard tonight, give the video a share, hit the like button, um, shout it out, spread the word. And thank you guys so much for joining another episode of the Moana Nui podcast. I hope you guys are well and safe. Take care, everybody. Malama Pono, ahui ho, until we see you again. Hey.